Welcome to episode 28 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, I've been up in Banff a few times this past week. It's been exciting to see all the Tour Divide riders showing up around town. And uh, I have to admit, not even doing the race, I still get anxious uh, and excited feeling uh, being around it all. Uh, you can just sense everyone's eyes darting around like deer in a forest, you know, asking who's that, what bike are they riding, uh, have they been training all winter. And uh, if you get wound up like me, uh, staying at the YWCA, uh, so where the Grand Depart usually is, is probably the worst place you can be. Uh, in fact, uh, before I lived in uh, the Bow Valley, uh, I made a point of staying about 30 kilometers away uh, in Canmore, uh, kind of away from it all. Not today's guest, though, and uh, he has won the race. My buddy Josh and I chat today about his uh, preparation for the race, uh, his bike setup, and how his mindset has evolved over the three previous attempts of the route. Safe riding to everyone now out in course. Uh, we'll be following along on trackleaders.com. Uh, but for now, enjoy our podcast. All right, we're here with uh, Mr. Josh Cato. I've been screwing up his name for as long Cato. as I've known. Cato? Cato. Cato. <laughs> <laughs> don't it's nice. like, yeah, just don't call me late. I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know how to spell it. I'm still yeah, learning how to say that's it. That's fine. Uh, so we are, we're in his room. It's uh, the palatial penthouse suite at the, at the Y in uh, in Banff. Got uh, the cutthroat bike to the one side. Got a, a table of... Uh, Stuff I imagine is going to be packed pretty soon. And gummy bears. Gummy bears, yeah. of course. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just kind of that humble last few days before the, the Tour Divide. So we're recording this on the Wednesday, and the race starts on the, the Friday. So uh, looking forward to uh, spectating for the first time at the finish. So I'll come come see you, see you off. But, uh, yeah, we're here to answer questions from uh, the community, which we did get a few. Uh, thanks, everyone. And uh, just kind of shoot the shit, as they say. We just <laughs> came back from the, the Banff Brewing Company, so we've got a, a beer and lunch in us, and uh, we're, we're ready to go. Uh, so why don't I just dive right into the questions? Um, well, Josh, maybe while I'm opening this up, tell us, like, where are you from? Why are you so famous? <laughs> so famous, yeah. <laughs> uh, from uh, Cashmere, Washington. Um, so I won the divide in 2015, and that's where I met Ryan face-to-face. And, uh, and um, kind of just been trying to keep riding it since then. Tried in 2014, won in 2015, tried in 2016, and this will be my fourth start and hopefully my second finish. Cashmere. Cashmere. Smack dab, the geographic center of Washington State. It's a good Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. <laughs> I know I know my old guy history. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're not the only one, okay? <laughs> um, okay, so you won the, the divide in uh, 2015. You, you smoked me and a bunch of other people and uh, had you up at the summit and uh, just w- was a blast. And uh, so we're going to get into some more kind of divide specific questions um but you are also going to be up at the herd in Albertan yeah with uh, Val your wife looking forward um, to that on the tandem on the tandem um and then back at the the summit again absolutely I, yeah. I, I, we confirmed this yeah yes yeah, okay. yeah, yeah I've had it written yeah. down for a while <laughs> vacation times in the books already yeah okay. other than the tour divide vacation for the bikepacking summit okay awesome all right, we'll, we'll get into the questions. Um, so first up is uh, from uh, Mr. Seb from uh, Australia. We know him. Oh, good uh, Fellow divide rider. Um, I, I had to ask you this one before because I wasn't sure what he was referring to, but his question is, is he, Josh, wearing that jersey again? <laughs> so explain to us what the, the question is and, and what the answer is. So I, I believe Seb's asking this uh, the question about my my. Super expensive $28 REI, I guess a Novara Sprint jersey was the proper name of it that I wore in 2015. My orange jersey with a stripe on it. I was looking for a jersey with no names on it, and that was the only one I could find. It was $28. Um, so that was the jersey that, you know, everybody looks for the jersey the winner, right? <laughs> Maybe not. But uh, 
So Dylan Taylor, who was in the divide with us in 20, um, 2015, he, uh, he showed up at the Smoke and Fire 400 in Idaho in 2015 with that jersey, and I had it on, so it kind of looked a little goofy with the same jerseys on. But uh, it's, uh, it's being worn again right now in the great, or the, what are we calling it? The American Trail Race. American, we'll call Trail, it. American Race. Trail Race. And Dylan is out in first place, it sounds like, with the, uh, the Novara Sprint orange jersey on. And I'm pretty sure I saw Seb mentioning that jersey uh, that Dylan was wearing, so must be where that question came from. And the answer to the question? Probably. <laughs> so uh, a side question is, do you bring two jerseys? I have two jerseys with me. Why? Why do you need two jerseys? That's extra weight, John. No. Oh, no, not on the race. No, oh. no. <laughs> not, no. Definitely not. I'm just trying to decide which one I want to wear. Ah, Okay. Yeah. So is the other one in question got all your, you know, your, your sponsor and logos and bling all over it? No, it's just another form of the Novara Sprint jersey, so uh, okay. I might save that for another race, though. So did REI reach out to you at all, then? No, but it was it was great fun. I was at a Fonda, one of our local Fondos in Washington. The uh, clothing buyer from REI was there, <laughs> and he latched onto me because he noticed the jersey. <laughs> and he said, you know, that's the jersey that the winner of the Tour Divide wore. Oh, God. And... Of course, my, my sister-in-law was there and proved him correct. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Good. Okay, so maybe. Maybe. Okay, so uh, next question is from Jonathan Hayward from Hinton, so organizer of uh, Alberta Rockies uh, 700. So you'll actually get a chance to sample. Uh, I don't know how much it ends up being. I want to say maybe 20, 30, 40 kilometers of that front range route. Uh, oh, yeah. on the Hurt and yeah. Auburn yeah. as we kind of loop back around uh, the front range. Uh, so he organizes that. His question is, um, and it's it's totally valid, um, it, I tend not to think of it being a self-employed person, but um, I'd like to know how he is able to get the time off required to do the Tour Divide four years in a row, and uh, does he take any other holidays, or is it all devoted to uh, TD, Tour Divide? So, yeah, when I put in for my vacation time in 2014, I thought it would be the only time I would ever get that time of the year granted as vacation. As a nurse, we're unionized, so our vacations are pretty rule-based, and June is what we consider the high, the peak time for vacation, so everybody wants to vacation in June. But if you're at a job for 17 to 20 years, which you get to do when you're an old guy like me, right, um, you get seniority, so I was able to get up the ladder and get the time granted and luckily I've been able to get that time off for the past three years and this will be the fourth time I've got to finish this year though in like 22 days or something so not a lot of room for error out there i got to get back to work Yeah. Um, but my only other vacation of the year is the Canada Bike Pack Summit nice. <laughs> in September um, so it's been a challenge though it's always a challenge getting that amount of time off from work but uh, that's pretty much my main vacation of the year it has been the past few years is the tour divide so. it's not a bad little trip if you're going to take it no it's, it's a bit of scenery out there but maybe 2018 like an all inclusive with Val somewhere yeah we've talked about that maybe a beach somewhere nice yeah. and I, I should on a side note this this joking about the old man uh, stuff is comes from the fact that when when I originally met up with Josh, um, I believe it was the first time I really saw him was in Sparwood on the Divide in 2015. Um, I I don't know how old I thought he was, but probably <laughs> my age or younger. And then when I found out that he was actually in his 40s, um, not to say that 40s old, but he doesn't look it. Let's just put it that way, folks. <laughs> You've aged well, Josh. <laughs> well, thank you. Hopefully it stays with me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so long story short, your, your time is mostly devoted to this and whatever the Canadians uh, yeah. volunteered told you for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Canmore, uh, Megan Dunn. So she was on the podcast. Uh, actually, one of our most popular podcasts, the, the Evil Moose oh, episode. And we may see her at the start. We're, we're not entirely sure yet, but she might be racing this year. She did lay some smack down saying she was hoping to beat my, my time. Mm. Uh, she's asking, what's the best way to catch a fish? <laughs> I'm assuming in regards to uh, types of fishing. And uh, the best 
fishing spot along the Tour Divide route that you've seen so far? Uh, that's one of the reasons I keep doing this route, you know. <laughs> it goes along so many good fishing rivers, actually. That was one of the big motivations to look at the route. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael McCoy, yeah, he's a big fly fisherman. Yeah. Also on the podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. He laid it around some really supreme fishing areas. So, um, best way to catch a fish with a fly that you've tied yourself yeah. from your dog's hair. So, hmm. that's the best way. Dog hair? Dog hair. Dog hair. It's great stuff. But what about dog hair? I don't know. Maybe it's scented. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> yeah. But it works great. Um, the best place, well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> it's somewhere between Banff and Antelope Wells. I know that much. Yeah. I, I heard the. You, you haven't fished on the Bow River yet, have you? I haven't, and the Bike Pack Canada Summit may be a good opportunity to do that, though. Yeah. Does it matter the time of year for that sort of thing? Or? Uh, fishing for me, it never matters what time of the year it is. Yeah. So, yeah. September would be a great time, actually. Yeah. Okay, well. If, I don't know how much time you guys have off work, but... I'll make time for fishing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Ryan McNabb from Chattanooga, Tennessee. So for the Canadian listeners, and I think I said this in the last podcast, most of the questions we get are from Americans. So come on, <laughs> let's step up the game a little bit. But uh, Ryan McNabb from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee... He, he sent me some general questions, things he, he would like to see covered in future podcasts, but I mentioned that I would bring them up with, with yourself because I think these, a lot of these will be kind of ongoing questions. Um, first one from him. Well, okay, I'll, I'll start by saying what he sent me. He said, I'm 52 and just starting to prepare seriously for bikepacking events. I'd love to hear in interviews about training and nutrition, including training in middle age. <laughs> So many riders seem to be over 30 um, looking at photos from the event. So his question, first question is, uh, what's a good average weekly training mileage throughout the year and how does it change with various events? So I guess pertaining to you. Middle age. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I heard. Um, is 30s middle age? I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of um, that's a rough one. Um, I've kind of always gone off the basis that it's really not how far you go, it's how you're going that distance. It's yeah. not how far you go, it's how go you far. It's a quality and a quality. Yeah. At the same time, yeah, getting the hours out there is important to try to, you know, just get your body used to being on a bike for that amount of time and seeing how it reacts. You yeah. know, it's, it's kind of a big shocker if you've never done a 150-mile ride to get out there and realize what it feels like all of a sudden. So average weekly, boy, I... My weekly rates vary significantly. Um, do you weeks, keep track even? Um, you know, I, I, I use Strava to, to kind of track myself here and there. Yeah. Um, I'm not like the religious, you know, I've got to go set a KOM or, you know, live segments or whatever they call those things. I don't do that. Yeah. I just use it kind of just personal satisfaction on where I've been more than anything. But some weeks are pretty minimal. I mean, 30 miles. Um, some weeks are pretty stellar, so it varies a lot. I do try to climb as many hills as I can on the gravel. Um, okay. The bigger the hills, the better, and I just like going up to the top of mountains anyhow. So um, it's not so much what I think is motivating my training; it's just what's motivating my mind more than anything, really. Yeah. What I've got time for, you know, work gets in the way. Yeah, and f- for the listeners, Josh and I were talking about this over lunch. Both he and I aren't really into gadgets so when it comes to logging and you know keeping track of power numbers and things like that like you and i kind of go yeah. off feel more than yeah, anything. i have no idea of any of my power numbers i wouldn't know where what they even mean so yeah i i tend to stay away from gadgets but because of the the, the leg injuries that i have and imbalances that i really noticed in 2015 i started to get intrigued by um uh pedals of power yeah yeah and really just being able to give like a very objective number behind what i thought was happening it had had that ever crossed your mind as far as the strategy since i heard middle-aged in the question it has now and you know you mentioning that actually is not a bad idea um and you know there's plenty that i could do to step up my game in terms of trying to get faster but that's really never what's been my motivation to keep riding the bike so 
I like to keep it fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's my it's my recreation. It's not my job. So, um, the less gadgets I have on the bike, the better. I have plenty of those at work, and those are required. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at your bike now. Right now, I see the E Trax thirty thirty. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of all you got for computers? Yeah, I don't have any other. Well, I've got the Spot, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, E-Trex 30 and no other cycle computer. I don't ride with a cycle computer or a GPS with me on the bike. Okay. Otherwise, only for figuring out how to get to Mexico. Yeah. Uh, Do you, so at, th- at this point, well, so you've you've attempted the route four times. Uh, three attempts. This will be my fourth. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I was going to say, do you at this point, do you feel like you have the route somewhat memorized? But it's changed this year a little bit. It has changed a little bit. Yeah. If I would, last year, so since I completed the course in 2015, last year in 2016, I didn't have any backup GPS really. I had a um, one of those apps on my phone that I could have brought up and yeah. need be, but it wouldn't have run for more than an hour on my phone battery. So, but I thought I could actually probably ride the course mostly without any direction last year. Yeah. Since this year, it's that finishes a couple years ago now there's a turn here or there that I might not remember very well so I do have my backup GPS with me if need be this year but I'm fairly comfortable I think getting down the route yeah get pretty comfortable being outside in places uh going back to the training question um do you mix up the your preparation with with more than just biking like do you focus on any kind of cross training fishing (laughs) (laughs) fly fishing a lot of that I ski um, I do stuff that I like to do and like yeah. I say it's my recreation I mean, keep your mind yeah. engaged the you know the the bike packing races are definitely more of my sport than my recreation but um, you know I, I ride the bike a lot man fat bikes are great in the winter time it's kind of a different form of biking and backcountry skiing you know hiking up mountains and skiing back down is great fun and it's good exercise too other than that, though, some skate skiing, cross-country skiing. That's about it. You're so, fishing. <laughs> well, you, you're standing in cold water. So That's right. So it's a recovery, and this leads into the next question. So what are some effective ways to speed uh, recovery? So you are also a nurse, right? Mm-hmm. So I was saying over lunch, I, I kind of assumed, like, this gives you a, a mm-hmm. bodily awareness that maybe your average rookie that hasn't seen injuries might not know or have seen, does that give you an advantage in in knowing ways to recover? In terms of being able to recover, I don't know about that, but in terms of, maybe it's detrimental to me. (laughs) If you know too much? Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I know it won't kill me, and I know it will um, as a definitive line, and I know there's a lot of things that won't kill me, so maybe that's bad for me. I don't know. Maybe it's bad for pushing through when maybe you should slow down a little bit. But I do know that rest is really important. I mean, in 2015, I slept almost every night, and I slept pretty well, and I slept in as well. I mean, the snooze button was pretty popular on that ride for me. And it's easy to see in the hospital, people that don't sleep, they get, like, ICU psychosis, basically, lack of sleep and yeah. other items. And, um, sleep's important you got to let your body recover. So I don't know that it's innate as a nurse. <laughs> well, I, I got a, a whiff of this at the summit, and like I said, I, I unfortunately didn't get to see all of your talk, but when you were showing us your kit, I seem to remember you talking about um, special ointments or things like that that you had for, like, saddle sores. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Like, so what, what do you have any, like, specific strategy for dealing with those? Well, I mean, that that does kind of, those things do stem definitely out of my nursing. I mean, there's this stuff we used to call bust, Boston butt cream that <laughs> we use in the hospitals. It's just a compounded mixture of various ointments. And um, they work well for me for saddle sores, and Val is actually the one that kind of reminded me that we used to use this stuff on patients, and it works great for, like, rashes and such, and it's just a combination of antifungal, um, some A&D ointment, which apparently you don't have in Canada. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's great stuff. It's just vitamin A and D ointment. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a light cream, so there's nothing to clog pores with it. It's, it's oh, okay. kind of a lighter weight stuff. And then um, a topical antibacterial, and, and the easiest thing to get a hold of is a, 
uh, acne cream, uh, benzoyl peroxide. It's a pretty potent surface type of um, germ killer kind of stuff, you know. Works well for mix all that together and put it on your backside. And it works well for me. Hmm. I'm trying to think of some other ailments that I run into. Both years that I've done the divide, I find like day two, day three, probably the first week, it feels like someone's taken a baseball bat to my legs. Yeah. Do you encounter that? I do. Yeah. And there's no way around that. Okay. Slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but rest. I mean, that comes back to rest. And I've noticed like in some of the shorter races that I've done where you're basically going no sleep, that sensation lasts because you're not resting at all. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the other things, you know, that I do carry with me is magnesium pills, um, and that can help that kind of muscle soreness recovery as well. That's about the only real supplement I bring other than I, I don't carry ibuprofen or anything like that with me. I just No? Okay. Uh, I like to feel the pain, I guess. <laughs> I, just, no, I, I don't like to dull the pain, so I actually know what my body's going through versus trying to mask it. So I can kind of make small adjustments here and there versus thinking something's good and then that night when that pill wears off all of a sudden having a problem so yeah it's an interesting point so for the guidebook I um the, one of the appendix pieces was a sample um pack list mm-hmm. and uh, so I just went through like everything that I could think of and one of it was whether or not to include ibuprofen mm-hmm. and it seems kind of par for the course but I put that disclaimer like but you should really be Understanding what the root of the problem is, yeah. really, right? Yeah, you know, and that and it is important. I mean, and we see that in the hospital a lot. You know, everyone wants to dull the pain, understandably so. But at the same time, when you're on a bike and one of these type of events, you need to know where that pain's coming from and what you can do to try to alleviate it. Masking it up isn't going to do anything. I mean, saddle sore, for instance, you can dull the pain on it, but tomorrow it's going to be open and bleeding, and you're not going to be able to sit down. So. Yeah. So, to me, like, really the only time to recover is at, at night, so when you stop moving. Do you have any particular kind of... And, and by all means, like, if, if you want to hold back on this, go for it. But, like, is there any particular strategy you have to that small window as far as how you sleep or, like, do you have your legs up? Um, I do try to get my legs up if I remember. Usually I'm so tired I just don't. <laughs> so I, it is a great idea. I mean... Usually, usually the bike's on its side, so I try to prop my legs up onto the bike. But then that kind of gets cold sometimes because then your legs are elevated on the surface and there's air moving around them. And yeah. I prefer to have the insulation of the ground, which some people don't find comfortable. But, yeah. you know, something insulating underneath of you to keep them warm. That's what I find works best for me, at least. If there was a nice pillow to put them on, I'd take it. But, yeah. Um, you know, and in years when I carry the sleeping bag and it's warmer out and I'm not using the sleeping bag, I'll definitely prop that under my legs. That works really well. But other secrets, I don't really have any secrets. I just have varying levels of bad ideas. Um, if my bad ideas are better than your bad ideas, maybe it's helpful. But, uh, yeah, I just hit the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, Josh sounds like he sleeps okay. Uh, I sleep a lot. I had carried three or four alarms with me on the divide. Oh, uh, I don't know if we could be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think I slept at all. I would lay down, but I don't think I slept much at all, which is half my what the problems I run into. Um, so Ryan was asking, let's see, what, what did we cover? What are some effective ways to speed recovery? What are the common training injuries, and how do you avoid them? Now, I imagine if you're doing kind of things by feel and are kind of more like what you want in the moment, I, I imagine that in itself you avoid a lot of repetitive injuries. When you're go- Instead of going off someone else's schedule, you're off your own schedule. Yeah, and that, you know, that I do find pretty important for me in that, you know, now that I'm middle-aged, I've kind of accumulated a lot of injuries over the years, as you do when you get older, and they just kind of stick with you. So trying to figure out how to make your body move yeah. and how to adjust your bike to make things work better and what stretches you need to be doing. I mean, that's what that's what really is important. You know, and we all run into the same kind of things on those really long, hard training sessions. I mean, you've got your IT bands, your Achilles, your knees, um, hands, neck, 
and you've got to address them and it's different for everybody so what works for me is probably going to work for a lot of people but my IT bands and my hamstrings and my knees are pretty banged up these days my hamstring and knees are are pretty pathetic so hmm. I do adjust my seat actually up and down a fair amount on the route oh, wow. um, once I start feeling one part of the knee twinging or aching I'll move the seat until my other part starts <laughs> twinging and aching and then I'll move it back the other way and, and I'll even move my cleats back and forth a little bit here and there to kind of th- switch things up so it's it's not all one big overuse it's cumulative overuse on everything yeah. <laughs> I just like to share the joy with the other parts of the body I guess so so uh, I guess a bike fit is getting a bike fit prior is not all that important to you. Like again, do you go off more feel than anything? <laughs> I guess yeah, that doesn't speak well for bike fit because <laughs> I'm moving everything on the bike. But um, I don't know. You know, I used to be super into bike fit back when I was not metal aged and I was racing more traditional mountain bikes and road bikes a long time ago. And it got to the point where after you know a 50 mile ride, something hurt. So I don't find that moving things around is any worse it's only better for me at least so yeah. not sure that works for everybody but it definitely definitely helps me out uh, last question from Ryan um, I'm also really interested in the viability of doing very low carb diet not truly ketoic ketotic ketotic yes uh, during events and uh other stuff along those lines just some ideas so it's fun. it's interesting this comes up a lot and yeah. I wonder how much of it has to do with Billy Rice Billy Rice and Billy Butter yeah um, you, so we haven't chatted about this I have my own opinion on this what's your thoughts on this I eat a lot of donuts man. <laughs> so I'm kind of the opposite um, you know it's a that's a hard one um, there's a lot of different diets out there and they work for a lot of different people and a lot of them don't work for other people yeah I see people hospitalized for a lot of weird reasons, and some of them are purely diet-related. And I mean, I'm not going to give medical advice on what you shouldn't shouldn't do in terms of your diet, but yeah, you know, it's I don't know. It's uh, that's a touchy subject, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go down the divide without eating a donut. I'll tell you that, yeah. or a cinnamon roll, so. or the odd gummy bear. Gummy bears. I <laughs> got a box full of red. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the vibe that your approach. To this is kind of like mine, where right? your body's kind of like the, the the DeLorean from Back to the Future, where they stop and <laughs> dump garbage in it, and somehow it flies away. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever hit eighty-eight miles an hour, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Ryan, it's it's a it's a question that comes up a lot. Um, I've had other people ask me about getting more into nutrition, and I think this is going to be an ongoing discussion because you know everything that I've learned through working with Hammer. And, you know, listening to, to guys like uh, Billy Rice passionately speak about, um, you know, fat-based diets, I, I would still say there's not one answer for everyone. And uh, so it's just, yeah, it's going to be an on, ongoing discussion. I, I think, I, I don't know, it, to me, I, I would find it would, would be really difficult to go into an event already limiting yourself yeah like this where you're already in a survival situation yeah and that's basically what you're doing I mean you're running into a gas station yeah trying to get some calories and get out and eat them on the bike a lot of the time I mean they don't have a lot of selection in Ovando I mean there's you know I love Ovando but there's not you know they don't have steaks hanging on the shelf at the store there um there's a lot of junk food. Yeah. You can make selections and kind of go on whatever diet you need to, but I don't know, comfort food, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Well, yeah, it's a good point. Like, um, So I announced on the Summit page that Ryan Draper, so manager at Rebound, is going to do a talk on... He seems really keen to want to talk about nutrition and, you know, macronutrients and, um, you know, if you are going to a convenience store, like, what are some healthier options and... So I had that in my mind when I was on my last little scout up the front range, and I purposely went off route to um, uh, some some lodges at a place called Panther River, which is uh, right next to uh, the Red Deer River on the, the Alberta Rockies route, because I, I really wanted to know what was what they had, and so it, you know, very typical kind of divide stop or like what we would encounter is 
they have a little sign saying general store and they're open wonky hours and it's you know a little old lady inside and you know what does she have she has like one rack with uh you know chips and chocolate bars and 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 maybe if you're lucky there's a thing with ice cream in it right so (laughs) so yeah there's like the ideal diet and then there's just the realities of like uh you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta take what's in front of you to some extent. Yeah. And it's funny because back in, let's see, I guess 2014, my first year doing it in the year that Val finished it, you know, some of our training that year, the years leading up, we'd go on bike tours and purposely just eat junk food to see how our bodies reacted to it. Because at some point you're going to be eating, you know, gummy bears for 24 hours or something like that. I mean, beef jerky and gummy bears is going to be your diet. How does your body do it? Go find out, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting subject, and I'm sure there's a lot to be benefited from it. But I just like to eat donuts and cinnamon rolls. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, but when you go when you go into that convenience store, hmm. like I assume, like you're trying to find a few healthy choice, like some variety, right? Like there's the quick burn fuels, the you know the simple sugars, right? And then there's like the the burritos and things that will last a bit longer. Man, I don't even get that in depth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I don't. There, there you go, folks. Josh, Josh, the 2015 Tour Divide winner by fluke. <laughs> Pretty much, I think maybe. Um, yeah, I was going more off of weight and size to pack and stuff. And just pure calories, really. I mean, that's what I was... I'd go in, like, how much is that weighing? Can I fit it in my bag? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's uh, Rice Krispie treats. I mean, those are super lightweight. And you look at the bags, I've actually got a lot of calories. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's simple, but uh, made me feel good. So. Do you, do you f- think of food as playing into how you recover at all? Like, do you, when, you, when you hear people talk about inflammation and... Very likely. I mean, there are a lot of electrolyte imbalances people in, occur out there. I mean, you always hear about the swollen legs, swollen ankles, and I have no doubt that a lot of that is coming from our diets, um, not to mention that we're pedaling our bikes for 18 hours in a day or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, the diet does play into that, and what you're putting in is affecting that for sure. Um, the magic gear, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I haven't taken the time to look into it and my my eyes and my mouth and my stomach probably wouldn't agree with it I guess yeah alright well thank you Ryan from Chattanooga I like saying that Chattanooga Tennessee um, okay so we'll get into some of my questions um, I didn't write down a ton because I, I, I was kind of curious to see where our lunch conversation would go um, but I think my number one question for you if you in, by all means if you're not comfortable answering we don't have to do it but my number one question for you, for, from someone that has, you know, ambitions of his own, is I look at what you've accomplished and then also some of your struggles, you know, uh, having dropped out um, in 2014 because of injury and then uh, last year because of being run off the road and injury again there. You know, there's part of me that says this is so tough and hard on your body and such an investment of time and everything else. It's like, what is the motivation? Like to me, like there's part of me that says like you could just stop now and you're, you're Josh the Tour Divide winner. Whereas, you know, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of fishing rooms out there I need to <laughs> check out. No, it, it's a good question and. You know, 2014, I thought that was my one shot. That was it. When I didn't finish, I was crushed, man. I mean, I was crushed. I, yeah. I had this goal of finishing this thing, and I didn't. And it, it hurt a lot. And Val would agree I was depressed for a long time until that vacation time was granted. Yeah. And bam, it was just like all divide all the time. And, um, got my mind in the right place. And, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe I should have stopped after 2015 and be easier on my body. Yeah. Um, and my pocketbook too but you know I wanted to come out then and just have a go and see see where my breaking point was at that point I wasn't able to find it last year because my body got broken before that so the motivation this year is to really just go out there and finish the route again I mean 33% isn't a very good finishing rate so um, 
50% is not that stellar, but it's better than 33. And yeah, it's it's a beautiful place out there. And I mean, we all like being on our bike, right? Yeah. And you get to spend a lot of time on your bike. And eating, eating donuts and gummy bears and losing weight. And losing weight, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can eat as much pizza out there, whatever you want, and you're be less weight at the end, that's for sure. But yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a tough question. I think it's one of those things that until you get out there and do it, um, there's a reason that sticks in everybody's head, I'm sure, as to why they're out there. And I think a lot of us, that's what keeps bringing us back, something nagging at you in the back of your head. Yeah. Like, some people I notice each year, like, really plan out their days. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they show up, they've got elevation profiles, they've got the mileage all listed out, like, they've got little books in front of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, th- I think kind of what I'm reading, we're kind of similar, right? Like, you almost need, like, a f- couple days to kind of see where you're at. Yeah. Where the group's at. Yeah. And I think ultimately try not to blow up the first couple of days and then build from there is, yeah. is kind of what I'm hearing, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the in 2015, my main goal was to finish. And when you start realizing that your body's feeling good and you're doing well, then you can start getting, getting after it and seeing what you can do. Okay. Um, it's hard going all out in the beginning and then you sustain one small injury and that affects your entire race yeah um because you said you you started if i recall you felt stronger almost as the race went on right in 2015 it was amazing i mean by just after halfway point the the wham sutter area yeah so after the basin yeah i was feeling pretty darn good um, other than my stomach, and maybe that's the diet thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I was feeling a lot stronger through the race. Uh, mm-hmm. By the end, I, my legs mm-hmm. felt amazingly good. Um, coming into last year, I felt in better shape than I did at all in 2015, but, you know, I didn't finish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've kind of just got to play it by ear, in my opinion, you know, and not limit yourself as to where I'm going to get to. Yeah. It's always you always have in the back of your head. You always want to do well. You want to get out there and do as fast as you can. But you just got to play it by ear. <laughs> There's a lot of snow out there sometimes. A lot of variables. Yeah, it's, and a, big, it's a big ride. And this year is it, well, it's not expected. Is it's it's known to be more of a. There's going to be some more snow on the mountain passes. Absolutely. Going to be some more hiking. So yeah, and the new route we're kind of unsure as to what how that's all going to shake out. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of variables and not limiting yourself you know you can do a lot more than you think you can for sure and you can also sometimes do more than you should yeah. um, there's kind of a fine line in there somewhere of having fun getting out there and seeing how things go and picking up the pace later yeah you're not going to win this race in day one or two what or three what <laughs> I was quite certain of it <laughs> yeah well you, you know in 2015 you were you were out the gate. <laughs> you were. But, you know, and it's a very good point, though, and I brought this up at lunch, in that in 2015, you were, I mean, you were the guy I thought, hey, you're going to be right in the front. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure that was in your mind as well. Yeah. I'd have to think. And as injury kind of sets in and things change for you to keep going, I mean, that's actually more motivation to me than someone going out and doing really well in the race. I mean, someone that's going to do well, super strong rider, and something happens, and they fall back through the, you know, the pack a bit, but they still get to that finish line. I mean, that's pretty awesome, man. And that's the divide, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's one of those things that brings a lot of us back here. It's like, you don't have to be the first place guy. Yeah. You don't have to be the last place guy. You know, the goal is to get to the end. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do, so. Yeah, that's that's kind of the beauty thing of it, right? Is you know we we're talking to you the you know a previous winner, but you know we both really when you're in it, you appreciate everyone that's in it, whether they yeah. finish or, or not finish, yeah. because you just know of the the tremendous sacrifice and oh, yeah. you know the weather the hardships that they must have faced and um, yeah. You know. And I was mentioning to you, you know, that's one of my favorite parts about hanging out here at the Y is I get to talk with the other riders and hear their stories and you know a lot of the guys have done it in years past I mean they've got some great stories and struggles and some a lot you know, a lot of them haven't finished and but there's some good stories and 
it's a great time. Yeah. For for the sake of those watching on the live feed, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the bike that you're using this year? Uh, same bike as last year. Uh, the twenty. Let's see. This is a twenty sixteen cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, twenty sixteen cutthroat. Okay. Um, so same bike as last year. Um, the main thing I did change up uh, the bag setup. I've gone to mostly Apadura um, bags. Same frame bag. This also Revelate uh, frame bag on here. Um, my kit's just got minor tweaks to it. It's basically the exact same kit that I used in 2016, save that I'm not bringing a sleeping bag. Um, I've got some special pants for that purpose. <laughs> and booties. Um, the other main thing on the bike, though, itself is the gearing. So last year I ran a 2x10, which I was pretty pleased with. Uh, I tested out the 1x11 system. It's fine, but with a loaded bike, when I felt really fatigued, I just didn't care for it. Yeah. So I went to the 2x10 last year, and there still was a top-end gear that I just really miss on some of those big downhills. So I've gone back to a 3x10 this year. Hmm. So I've got a pretty tall, tall end and a pretty low, low end on it. So as people are dropping chain rings in the front, I'm gaining them. So, I, yeah. you know, in 2015, I ran a 3x9, and the 3x10 is just giving me an extension of a low gear and a high gear. Yeah. So I've got a little bit more range than I did in 2015 and a lot more range than I did last year. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that last night on my ride is yeah. having the 3 on the front. I might yeah. try to go back to it. I ran um, a 2x10 in training this year uh, with the uh, Wolf Tooth the expander cog in the rear end. Yeah. But dropping out the one gear down lower because you're basically removing a cog, adding the other cog up top. So you're losing one of your steps in between somewhere. And I found that a step I moved was a gear that I used a lot of the time. So yeah. my cadence was altering significantly in between that step and just didn't care for it. So I went back to the 3 by 10 and I'm happy with it. And Old touring days. More yeah. years the better, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I would agree. Yeah. So what is it about the, the cutthroat bike that you like? I'm in a demo one for the first time on... Uh, or I'm picking it up tonight, actually, from mm -hmm. Rebound Cycle. So, what, yeah, what is it about this bike that well, you like? Designed as a drop bar mountain bike. So, I mean, like my Fargo that I use have used for years... It, the geometry sets well with the drop bar. It's a slightly shorter top tube than what a mountain bike would have, so your reach is, is appropriate. But then the best thing on it is the rear end has just got carbon fiber stays that flex outward to decrease that vibration coming through your seat. So it's, in my experience, a lot smoother ride over washboard, rough gravel roads, and yet super laterally stiff, so pedaling efficiency is, is great. Uh, definitely more so than my older Fargo's and such. And I love that bike. I never get rid of the Fargo's, but as a race bike, this thing rocks pretty fast um, and very comfortable in the rear end as well. So, quite happy with it. Um, wish I could have taken it all the way to the finish line last year. That's how it goes. So this drop bar setup, I, I, I. So I'm thinking of like the drop bars on my like road bike. Like I, which I rarely use because it seemed like such an aggressive yeah. position. Is that not the case when you're you're mountain biking? Like to me, it's still kind of a foreign concept. Hey I man, John Tomac wrote a <laughs> drop bar mountain bike back in the '80s. <laughs> no, so I mean, on the cutthroat, one of the things on the geometry is is the front end is higher, so the flats on my bars up here are, as you can see, over the top level of my saddle. Yeah. I've got a fairly high stem on it. Right. Um, and the salsa wood chipper bar, the way that they flare as well, it's pretty comfortable okay. um, in the drops. So my drop position is almost equal to the flat bar position on my, my standard mountain bike. So okay. when I'm in the drops, my body position is pretty equal to my actual mountain bike. Okay. The tops is kind of just a super comfy, you know, cruising around, old guy back, riding position. <laughs> so... But there's a lot of hand positions to move around, keep those hands happy. And then the addition of a lot of suspension for it keeps my hands even that much more happy. So I really like the drop bar ride. Um, and if we do talk numbers, which I usually am not into numbers, but on the GPS, I do have my speed on my GPS screen so I know how slow I'm going all the time. <laughs> when I get in the drops, whether it's below 20 miles an hour or over, I gain exactly one mile an hour just by putting myself in the drops. And that's up a super steep climb or anything. It's just 
it's not aerodynamics all the time because when you're going less than 10, I mean, that's not really coming into play. Yeah. It's that body position, I think. So, hmm. But uh, really happy with it. And then, of course, I'm middle-aged, so I still use bar-end shifters. <laughs> bar-end shifter fan, man. Got to move my hand every time I shift, so it does keep my hands pretty happy. Uh, that's not how it comes with stock. No, it yeah. comes stock with you know, the standard brifters. Okay, you had me worried there. Right? Yeah, no. no, the stock bike is great. Yeah, I mean, this bike is set up to my own preferences. Yeah. Um, you know, the 3x10 bar-end shifters. This is even a wider wood chipper bar than this model comes with. This is the widest wood chipper bar, so usually yeah. you guys in, like, 70s height reasons yeah. bar. But um, I just like the wider bar for more stability downhills. I like to go fast downhills and slower uphill, so I'm not much of a climber. All so. right. And then the K-Lite system is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, which is so small you can't even see it up there, but at nighttime I guarantee you'll see it, so. Yeah, running off the dyno hub in the front and uh, the K-Lite system, a simple switch. Uh, it says change it over to my charger. Um, I don't really use the charger match because I don't have any electronics other than GPS is battery operated off double A's. And I just carry it mostly for recharging my phone if need be, which I don't use on the route anyhow. So it's kind of just there because I can, I guess. If you want, we can go in the bath and pick you up like some uh, beats, uh, like pill. You put that on the front, and get yeah. some tunes going. And I mean, I can use my phone as a backup GPS. So I guess that'd be the primary reason to have it. But yeah, yeah I just don't. You bought it more for the light then. Yeah, I mean yeah, the, you got the system's all for light for me. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, it's a great light. Uh, I don't have to worry about picking up batteries along the route, which I definitely did in 2015. I was like a battery hoarder. Yeah. I don't know if anybody behind me ever got any batteries, but man, I, I must have added like with 15 pounds of batteries on this bike or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, all right, well, that's the bike setup. So quick tease for those watching. We're going to continue with our podcast. Thanks for those that tuned in. Um, okay, how does winning change things for you? <laughs> when you walk in the white, people know who you are. No. Um, yeah, that's why I would not stay here. <laughs> it's fun, man. No, it, it really is fun being able to chat with everybody, actually. I'm a pretty introverted guy for the most part. Um, I mean, I, I don't walk around town and just say, hey, how you doing? I'm not the big jovial guy, but yeah. um, being able to chat with cyclists and who doesn't like a divide rider? I mean, they're all awesome. So it's fun talking with everybody. Uh, but it definitely does put more, I don't know if it's been pressure on me or, or, or I'm not sure what it is exactly. I mean, it's expectations. Everyone says, like, for instance, oh, you're going to be fast. And I'm sure, as you know, being fast just doesn't come naturally. Yeah. <laughs> you have to work at it, and you have to work really hard at it. And... So sometimes I feel like I've got to work extra hard because people expect you to be fast then. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that they realize that I just don't have this innate speed built into my body. I mean, genetics does play a part, of yeah. course, but you've got to train and you've got to train your butt off. And it's hard work. And Do you feel like there's an expectation to go faster than you, like each time you do it? I think so, yeah. Um, you know, the guys back home... That's why you started 21 days. <laughs> and then you go to 19 days. <laughs> really good idea. <laughs> and then when I pull off that 17 days, yeah, it's going to be like, awesome. whoa, yeah. he's awesome. You know, because everyone's always like, ah, oh, you're going to go for your PR. Because we're all very, you know, we're, we're motivational driven, you know, reward bases and yeah. stuff. And everyone's like, ah, oh, you got to go for your PR. Honestly, I, I mean, yeah, it'd be sweet to go faster than 14 days and 11 hours because I'd be done faster. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not my main motivation. Not at all. Um, I don't have a goal finish time for this year. I have a finish goal is yeah. what I have. So it's, I think that's the biggest thing that's changed for me is that expectation. And it kind of messes with my own strategy a little bit because then I keep hearing in the back of my head, oh, you got to be fast, you got to be fast. Yeah. I'd be totally happy Riding with the Lantern Rouge, man. I mean, except that I don't supply my run short. But other than that, I'd, I mean, I'd be happy riding with anybody in this race back in the pack and, you know, pushing all I got out there. Yeah. It's not about the speed, I don't think. It's fun going fast. You know what I would do? I, and I can't remember where I heard it. Maybe it was on the Trans Am, but then, like, my call, like, hold back and, like, 
let everyone else go first. Yeah. I, th- I almost think that would be a smart strategy, not to get sucked into it. Yeah, it would be. It'd be fun, too, because, I mean, you'd meet everybody in the race. I mean, yeah. you'd get to say hello to everyone, which would be cool in itself. But, yeah, you would be... You wouldn't have to place yourself into that speed group all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, that that kind of thing that works in your brain, like, i got to go as fast as these guys. got to stay up with them. Yeah. It would probably be a a good way to do the race I think yeah so you heard it here first folks I might sleep in Josh is gonna officially as soon as the 8 o'clock buzzer goes he's gonna ride down to McDonald's and get an egg McMuffin mm. and casually make his way back it's possible it's very really possibility. alright uh, okay so do you have a daily goal we kind of chatted about that um, are you I don't know what my question is. I, I I was curious to know how you manage your pace, but so you don't really have computers and things like that. No, no. Um, let's see what else. Can I mean, I do? talk a lot about fun out there, but I do push as hard as I possibly can every day. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, th- you're in a race after all. Yeah. <laughs> you're not out there to lolly gig around and like, you know, text my friends while I'm racing. Yeah. Dylan Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Dylan Taylor. Nah. Um, hey, if you're winning a race, you can do whatever you, you can want. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the front of a 5,500-mile race, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> nah, yeah, you're in a race. So, I mean, I push hard. I push as hard as I can without burning myself or what I think I'm going to burn myself and hopefully avoiding injury too. So Yeah. The pacing is a hard part in one of these long races for sure. So it, it looks like not much has changed on this front, but how has your strategy, gear, and preparation evolved over the three previous years? <laughs> did it evolve, like, each time, or it, did it just change? Like, it changed significantly after 2014. Well, actually, more like 2015 when I won. Maybe I should go back to that kit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was carrying a lot of stuff. I, in, I, sorry, in twenty in twenty fifteen. Yeah, are you doing the backpack this year? Um, it's yeah, it's somewhere in this room. I think it's in, with the gummy bears. Oh, okay. I've been a backpack convert the last year. Yeah, time. oh, they're great. But I also don't have space for a middle triangle frame, so that's oh, yeah. part of it for me. Yeah, yeah. I, um, oftentimes, I'll, actually, the backpack I've got stuffs in so small I can fit it in my seat bag when I don't need it. Yeah. But I've also got the um, the front pocket as well, which will clip on my front, front roll, and that stows in my bag system as well. So I've got a lot of overflow space for food. Yeah. But yeah, I do carry my backpack. But yeah, in terms of the evolution of my gear, it's my weight. The weight of my kit has dropped exponentially. Yeah. I mean, in 2014, I don't know how much weight I had. I do know that uh, Valerie, Valerie, and my kits were almost the same in 2014, and we each had about a pound of paracord. <laughs> I don't know what we were going to do with it. <laughs> she she finished the race in 27 days and had a pound of at least a pound of paracord in her yeah. kit with her. Um, yeah, the kits were heavy. I mean, they were 65, 70 pounds. And in 2015, I parted down quite a bit, but it was heavy. Um, I had a lot of stuff with me. I mean, I had I think two different types of dental floss. In fact, I'm sure I did. Uh, I had a lot of stuff with me. Yeah. yeah. It was heavy. And then in 2016, when I got the cutthroat, I decided to just drop everything. I mean, I had already finished the race, so I was willing to take more risks and go light. Yeah. And I've dropped more weight this year. Um, not a significant amount of weight, but definitely a little bit more weight again this year. Is there one particular area where you notice the most weight or space savings? Uh, my sleep kit has just drastically been reduced in size. In 2014, I had... It was a pretty lightweight tent, but it was nowhere under... I mean, it was over two pounds for the tent itself. I had a tent, I had a, more of a standard sleeping pad, I had a sleeping bag, you know, the full setup. It was heavy, and it took up my entire front roll and probably part of my rear seat back as well yeah and over the years i've just decided i don't really need to be that comfortable when i sleep because i'm going to be tired anyhow so yeah as well as lay my head down um so i've gone from a tent full sleeping pad full sleeping bag sleeping shorts um probably, i think i had a fleece top in 2014 and 2015 to this year i don't have a sleeping bag i don't have a sleeping pad um 
I'm using down pants, my down jacket, and my favorite new part of the kit, the down booties, which I think I could just sleep in my down booties and be totally happy. <laughs> but And then just an ultralight bivy sack, and that's it. So that part of my kit has shrunken in size so much, it's amazing. And that's what allows me to be able to carry my backpack and my extra expansion bag inside my kit when I don't need them all the time. Um, so it just makes more room for food and overflow stuff. Uh, Sarah was curious if you have any uh, luxury items, like things that other riders might do away with, like things that you feel like you personally have to have. Dental floss. <laughs> no. um, I think a lot of us carry that, don't we? Um, a luxury item that I carry. I have a rubber duck on my bike every year. What's What's that about? Just... Nothing. <laughs> Just because it's there, I talk to it. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know that I've got a luxury item. I can't I can't place my finger on one at least. Okay, how about this? When you stop at a convenience store, assuming there's whatever you want and or need, is there one thing you always have to get that motivates you or? You know, it's like your go-to snack. Or Dude, the, the glass cabinets that are heated, man, those things, <laughs> like, those things like a bank vault to me. I just I gravitate to them, and I'll take everything inside of them out of them. And they're fried food, crispitos, burritos. I remember the, the, the first year I did the Divide in 2012 when I was coming through Columbia Falls in Montana. There's a little grocery store on the left as you're going through, I think, the main street of town. And uh, I've, I've always stopped there. And I stopped there late at night, and they were, like, just closing up. And mm-hmm. so, like, everything that had been in the under the glass in their uh, deli had been there, like, all day. Oh, just, like, yeah. heated away. Nice glaze on it. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I asked, like, about the chicken fingers because I was, like, looking for, like, something that resembled food. And the lady, like, was like, I don't know if you want to do this. Like, they've been here all day. I'm like, whatever. Like, they're 50% off. She's like, I'll just give them to you. So she gave them to me. And these things were like rock hard. I, I, had, I couldn't even eat them. I couldn't even choke them back. But if you can get that sweet window where they're still, uh, yeah. you know, not greasy. A, not fully expired. Yeah. 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 Orange juice and some fried food. That's probably my, my main things that I gravitate to in the gas stations. All right. Last few questions. Favorite place to stop on the route for a meal? Well, this is a Sarah question again. She's very oh. curious about the food. Yeah, it like. yeah. well, food's important out there. <laughs> um, my favorite place for food, well, there's the iconic Pie Town. I mean, you gotta stop in Pie Town if it's yeah. open, which unfortunately it's not a lot of the time. But uh, I like Trixie's Diner in Obando. Their fried chicken is amazing. It's I don't know that stuff is great. So what time would you have gone? Th- that was in 2014. Yeah. Get there in 2015. Yeah, 2015, Remember, you were still... Lambkins is... Yeah, Dylan and I pulled into Lambkins. You were there yeah. eating, and that food was pretty darn good. Yeah. I, I just like food, so... <laughs> even when you're on the divide... It's yeah, all good. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, Trixie's in, um, you know, Vando I really like. I've been there on tour several times, and always get their fried chicken, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do get swollen after eating it, though. So Val, yeah. Val turns a chicken dinner face because you get a little stuffy from it. <laughs> See, I, I'm telling you, I think there's like an inflammation thing Very question nice. that a lot of us divide riders haven't addressed. <laughs> <laughs> we probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll end it off there. How, how are you feeling? More nervous than I ever have. I, I, I wasn't sure if I ramped him up more. <laughs> he was pretty, he was cool as a cucumber when I first walked in. Now he's all jittery. I've been, like, thinking about this now, man. I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I say, my finish rate is not that good. I'm nervous now. I'm talking about it. How has winning changed it? Doing things like this and getting me all nervous. <laughs> pretty relaxed. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm positioning myself to be your agent so <laughs> we, we, we gotta do things like this otherwise you're not gonna get you know these free bikes and, and whatnot they don't just show up Josh <laughs> you gotta run really hard yeah. yeah no it's uh, yeah looking forward to it I think I mean no matter what happens out there it's always a fun ride yeah. it's a great experience and there's just you know there's always something new it's always a different race you kinda know what to expect but 
a lot of times he ain't got a clue. So it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. It'll be fun. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, Brian. We'll be, uh, we'll be cheering for you on Friday morning. And Good luck, sir. All right. Thank you. All right.